the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater for Slater's America's the greatest country in the world, and it's because of people like Bud Fink, and that's what I want to... Uh, who I want to introduce to you next. So the day before 4th of July weekend on my local show, I got to talk to a man who I've spoken to a few times, but he uh, it gets better and better every time. Two clips I want to play from Bud. The whole interview is on my Facebook page. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Every second is gold. It's perfect. He's amazing. He's 91 years old, sharp as a tack. There's two stories here I want to share. No real particular order here. Um, he, on my local show, he's known as Bud, the streets are paved with gold, Fink. Uh, there's a reason for that. That's the second clip I want to play. But I want to start off with this one. Uh, this is the story of Bud Fink during World War II landing in France. Uh, and ultimately, he went on to go serve in the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, but here's here's the story of him getting to Normandy for the first time. Here it is. My outfit uh, came up through southern France. They came over from Italy and uh, stoned the beaches in southern France, came up that way, and I joined the outfit when they were up in northern France, mm-hmm. up, up in uh, the Vosges Mountains and the Colmar Pocket. About a month before the bulge broke out, I got over there. And uh, we pulled into La Havre, and it took two weeks to get over. You know, in those days, you didn't have uh, planes to fly you over, and you were zigzagged all the way because of submarines. And mm. we pulled into La Havre, and the whole harbor, everything was completely destroyed. Before the Germans left, they blew everything up, every crane, every dock, every uh, you name it. So it's November, and November in Europe is cold. The only thing I remember about European winters is the skies were always gray. It was either snow flurries or snow or rain or some damp. They never had a pleasant day. Anyway, we got to get off that ship. We had about 5,000 guys on that ship. And uh, to get off, the only way we're going to get off is in landing craft. So they pull up the Coast Guard was there, and they pulled up their landing barges up alongside, and they threw over cargo nets, and we're carrying about 60 pounds of equipment. I'm one of the first guys over. I was in the first line, and over we go, climbing down those cargo nets and jammed up, jam us into these landing crafts. I'm up front, and we pull to shore, and then the ramp goes down. And my God, I'm about 50, 60 yards from shore. I said, what are you guys kidding? I couldn't say another word. I was pushed off into water up to my chest, freezing cold. (laughs) I got ashore, so I (laughs) And we all went through that. Everybody just couldn't get close enough to the shore, and we went into that cold water and lined up in the streets of uh, La Havre and marched through the streets, freezing, soaking wet and cold, and... They took us to an open field, and they said, okay, boys, rack out. I said, you guys got to be kidding. What do we mean, rack out? That's nothing but a muddy field. <laughs> and they said, 
welcome to the ETO, your brain theater of operation. And that's just what we did. Oh. Racked out in that muddy field, and you know what? We slept. I I took part of a shelter half and wrapped myself around that, but that was not very warm. <laughs> I imagine the We're scene there. You, um, <laughs> there. <laughs> There's so much amazing things to talk. So first of all, Buzz does this throughout the entire interview. He'll speak, he'll he'll say something like, "Oh, the weather was just awful." I remember in in uh, England there was never it was always either raining or snowing or damp in some way. You just never had a pleasant day. Anyway, so we got there and went, <laughs> it's like, but like he'll do that with like super serious awful things and just anyway. So we have a, uh, a, a Slater family rule for the men in the Slater home. And there's five things that the Slater men never complain about. You're not allowed to complain about being hot, cold, tired, hungry, or bored. Slater men are not allowed to complain about being hot, tired, hot, cold, tired, hungry, or bored. Not allowed. Now you can say, I'm cold, as a statement of fact, but you can never do the, oh, I'm cold. Not allowed. Because I'm doing my darndest to raise my son, who's nine months, to understand how miraculous and unprecedented it is in the totality of human experience to be able to control the temperature of your surrounding. And in America in 2017, if you are cold in a specific moment, you will not be cold for long. Because somewhere in your very near future, like possibly within minutes, you will be warm again. You will be wrapped in a blanket. You can take a hot shower. You can... Uh, go by a fire. There's like a million options here to get warm again. Maybe 4th of July, you went out and, and watched fireworks. Maybe it was cold where you were. So you're, you're, you're outside watching the fireworks. Like, oh, it's a bit cold. Six minutes later, you were back in your car with the heater on. <laughs> right? If you've ever been hungry in your life, what's the longest you've ever gone without getting food to remedy that problem? A couple hours, maybe. Uh, you'll survive, right? So that's why Jack's not allowed to complain about these things, and I'm not either. Our kids need to understand what life has always been like for humans and what life was like for these World War II vets and even our service members today. Rack out. Rack out? Where? (laughs) In this freezing cold, muddy field? Yep. What, do you want a hot tub and a nice warm bed? You want a little turnover service? You want a nice little chocolate on on your pillow? I want to take a break here. If we have time, I want to share a story of the sausage war, which is a war that no one's ever heard of. Um, But I want to come back and give enough time for Bud's main story, which is the story of all stories. When we talked to Bud before 4th of July, you know, I wanted to talk about uh, his service and how he became a tank commander at 17 and stuff like that. And we did a little bit, but most of it was about growing up in the depression. And it was incredibly powerful. The full interview is on our Facebook page. Please search for the Mike Slater show on Facebook or Slater radio on Twitter. We put it there as well. Uh, You can hear the whole thing, but you have to hear this story. We're going to play next. And I guarantee you, you will share it with your family. If you hear this story, you will not be able to not share it with your kids. I you will tell them around. You will tell everyone, you know, this story. It's that amazing. Got it. Next Mike Slater show the blaze radio network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. 
with Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, this is uh, what Bud is mostly known for on, on my local show. Uh, World War II veteran Bud. I love talking to him. Let me just give you an example of like what a quick, funny guy is. At the end of our interview, we spent an hour together. I said, Bud, I love talking to you. I can't go another year without talking to you again. And he goes, you can't go another year. I'm 91. <laughs> All right. So he's awesome. You're going to hear from him again. Uh, again, full interviews on our Facebook page, search for the Mike Slater show on Facebook. But we started off talking about the depression and we talked about discipline in schools when he was going to public school in New York city, discipline at home, but in school, no talking allowed in the hallways, public school, no talking in hallways. Talked about how there were no organized sports or games for, for kids and all the boys would go home after school and, and steal their mom's broomstick. He would, and, and they'd play stickball in the streets looking out for the cars. Just so many amazing stories like that. But I want to play this one because this is, I think, the best of them all. It's one of my favorite stories I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, here it is. Enjoy. Each district had a draft board, and the draft board from Washington got orders this month. We want 40 people out of your draft board, out of your, out of your section. So they would naturally would look at see what's what's left, and what we got left is two families, uh, two and three kids, and Washington couldn't give a rat's nose for what they were thinking. They said we want them, and they had to draft them. So there were all kinds of uh, levels of, of men in the army. I mean, I hear I was seventeen. There were guys. My best friend. A guy by the name of Florian Floyd Florek. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I don't think this is the right clip, bro. He had three kids. Is this 1442? Does this start at 1442? Son of a gun. That is not. Yeah, can you check one more time? I don't know. But on my, on my computer, 14. Sorry, again, live radio. We have a ton of sound clips today. On my, on my computer, 1442 starts out very different. Yes, yeah, the same the same link we played the last one on. Yeah, even if you if you literally the same uh, the same link I sent over last one. Sorry, so like I we could have just played anywhere in the hour clip and it would have been great. But I want to I want to make sure I give you the exact. All right, let's try this one again. Sorry. Well, you know my grandparents of course uh, came over from the Ukraine, and they came over at t- turn of the century. Uh, you know they didn't have a pot to. When did it throw it out? They didn't have a nickel. And his first job was $3 a week. And he had, uh, they got a uh, two-room apartment, fourth floor, up in a tenement, with a toilet down the hall for four or five families. This uh, this is the way it, it started. Anyway, he eventually was able to buy a house and book. By that time, it's my, I was, uh, I was a, close to being a teenager and we were try- I used to love to hear his stories of the old country of how they'd start off at 40 below zero with a horse and wagon have a couple of shots of fight to keep them going and how they snuck across the border to get out of uh, the Ukraine which was part of Russia then and walked a good part of that summer through Germany and finally got to Amsterdam 
didn't have enough money and got a job in a shipyard. They lived in one of the uh, tool shed, sheds, which the boss let them stay in. Finally, he saved enough to come to America. But he made it. In his eyes, he certainly did make it because he uh, learned a, a trade. He did very well at it. And as I said, he bought a house. I used to love to hear his stories. And I asked him, I said, what made you come to America? What was the main reason? And he says, well, I came because I was told the streets were paved with gold. So I, 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 I laughed at him. <laughs> I said, come on, you didn't believe that, Grandpa. And he got angry with me. He grabbed me by the arm, took me over to the front of the house, pointed to the street, that asphalt paved street and says, you see that street? That street is paved with gold. And don't you ever forget it. You see, you have an uncle who's an engineer. You have an aunt's a school teacher. You have another aunt who's a uh, law secretary. If they stayed in the Ukraine, if I would have just not left the Ukraine, they would have been peasants. Like I was a peasant. They would have married peasants. Their children would have married peasants. Don't tell me these streets are not paved with gold. They are paved with gold, every one of them, and you better not forget it. And that, see, he was, he could really appreciate this country because he made it. In his eyes, he made it. He was still a working man, but he made it in as a working man, and uh, got enough money to buy to build a house to buy a house. So <sighs> love it. Uh, but I love I love this term. He made it. What an interesting concept, right? He made it. Yeah, and and boy, in his eyes, it was beyond his wildest dreams. <laughs> he could never have believed this. You could never ever, ever say anything wrong about the country in front of him, he'll jump down your throat. <laughs> you, talk, you talked about your dad and all the jobs he had. He stopped there. Did, oh, yeah. is, did he how complain? Great is that story? We can stop. How, how great is that story? Like, Bud, the streets are paved with gold, Fink. <laughs> Incredible, man. The full interview is on our, our Facebook page. Just search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook, and you can uh, listen to the whole thing gather the family around that's what i felt like every time i talked about i feel like i'm just sitting indian style on the carpet and he's in the in his in his nice chair uh just, just weaving in and out of his stories and i love it i love every second about it um i got a few minutes here so let me jump back to the previous story because we do end up talking with bud about his time in um in europe and how he became a tank commander at 17 and how that happened and and all that um and and the last clip we played in the last segment, if you missed it, was about him getting to Normandy and it was freezing cold and they said, rack out, and you just slept right in the disgusting, you know, in the freezing cold mud and all the rest. And they just did it. No, they didn't complain. They just did it because that's what they had to do. And that's, what, that's why he said, and you know what? We fell asleep. <laughs> I want to share a quick story here about how letting your desire for creature comforts can distract you from what's really important. And that's why we have a Slater family rule that you can't complain about being hot, cold, tired, hungry, or bored. It's a story about the Winter War. The Winter War was the Soviet Union versus Finland. 
1939, Finland. So the Soviets attacked a group of Finnish troops. Sneak attack. Totally surprised them. Caught them off guard. And the Soviets, they burst through the trees out of nowhere, and the Finns ran. They were totally unprepared to fight back in that moment. Now, one of the first things that the Soviets did when they took over the camp was to go to the Finns' field kitchen because the cooks were cooking right at that time. And they were cooking these giant pots of sausage soup. And it smelled delicious. And the Soviet troops, they they couldn't help themselves. So instead of continuing after the Finnish soldiers, they shouldered their weapons and ate, poured themselves some soup. Meanwhile, the Finns, they're running away. And eventually they turn back around and they realize they're not getting chased after. So they stop and they regroup. And this group of of soldiers who were not, I mean, they they were medics, cooks, and supply sergeants. Sorry, I left that part out. They weren't frontline soldiers. They were medics, cooks, and supply sergeants. They weren't exactly trained for this, but it didn't matter. They regrouped, ran back into their camp, and hand-to-hand combat battled the Soviet soldiers. It's known as the Sausage War. 500 Soviet soldiers made the attack. Only a few dozen made it back to their side alive. 100 Russians were killed in the field kitchen alone. Their half-eaten bowls of sausage soup lying beside their dead bodies. Now, there's a bunch of life lessons here. In the words of Brett McKay, you know, we, we tend to take our marching orders from our belly meaning we tend to get distracted by creature comforts. We hit the snooze instead of working out. We procrastinate. We scroll through Facebook instead of reading a book and all this stuff. But this is made very literal in war. I mean, here were the Soviets who were very much distracted by their bellies, by their desire for creature comforts. Fortunately for us, our World War II veterans were not. They racked out in the freezing cold muddy field and didn't complain about it for a second. Amazing. Again, full interview. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Please check it out. I want to come back and talk a little bit about Trump's speech in Poland and why so many progressives are against it. The whole first two hours of the show today has been about culture and why culture matters. So many different aspects of this conversation but one of them was a clip we played from peter Thiel, which talked about multiculturalism and diversity and multiculturalism is all about hating the west and diversity is about attacking the west um two sides of the same coin so the reason so many progressives hated trump's speech in poland the other day is because it talked about civilization and it talked about western civilization and it defended western civilization to an audience of people in the West. So for whatever reason, progressives were against that. We'll talk about why we'll read the best parts of Trump's speech and why it's important. Next, Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Again, Mike Slater Show on Facebook to check out the full interview with Bud Fink. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.
part of the next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater. Slater, Slater. So just one point in the, uh, in the name of cultural diversity and learning about other cultures, uh, there's this, this false oppressor oppressed narrative where the white man has always been the oppressor and everyone else, everyone else is the oppressed, which is absurd. Um, I don't know if we got to it on this show, but on my local show last week, we talked about some of the atrocities committed by the Apache Indians, just horrible, brutal stuff. And especially in San Diego, but everywhere, there's this romantization of ancient Mexican tribes, the Aztecs, Incas, stuff like that. And there's this perception that the Aztecs were these peace-loving people and all kumbaya around the campfire before the evil white conquistadors came to town and killed everyone well right now there's a massive excavation going on in mexico city near one of the um, aztec temples and archaeologists just discovered this giant structure it's two stories tall two stories wide that's huge and it has wood columns going up it and then uh, pieces of wood going across it. it's sort of like a, a giant ladder if you will two stories tall two stories wide but it wasn't a ladder uh, it was not a ladder. It was a place to display human skulls of people who were sacrificed at the altar of the gods. So skulls of men, women, and children sacrificed to the gods. A giant tower of skulls. And there was actually writings of a Spanish soldier who wrote about this, but we've now find, found it. But no, no, peace-loving and, and wonderful in, in every single way. Meanwhile, it's American civilization and Western civilization that's evil in every single way. I want to talk about Trump's speech in Poland the other day. Uh, It was a fine speech, but a lot of it was talking about civilization and Western civilization. And the left flipped out because to them, they've been trained, they've been taught that our civilization is bad. And not only bad, but uniquely bad. Kids today, high schoolers and college kids today, truly believe that slavery was invented in America. They think it was invented here. And I don't have time to go into the absurdity of that, but that's how far off they are. And that's how deeply ingrained this idea that Western culture and American culture in particular is bad and evil. So we have kids who grew up in that, who are now reporters and commentators, and they hear Trump talk about civilization and Western civilization, and they flip out. This is a writer in the Atlantic. Uh, in his speech in Poland on Thursday, Donald Trump referred to referred 10 times to the West And five times to our civilization. His white nationalist supporters will understand exactly what he means. And it's important that other Americans do too. He says the West is a racial and religious term. To be considered Western, a country must be largely Christian, preferably uh, largely Christian and largely white. Okay, again, for the sake of time, I won't dignify any of that. This is the line I wanted to read. The most shocking sentence in Trump's speech. The most shocking sentence in Trump's speech. Perhaps the most shocking sentence in any presidential speech delivered on foreign soil in my lifetime. Was the claim that, quote, the fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. That's the most shocking sentence that this person's ever heard a president say in his lifetime on foreign soil. The fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. Well, I'll tell you what, based on this writer's response, the answer is no. 
<laughs> if a majority of people in America feel the same as this guy, then no, the West does not have the will to survive. Because when this kid or guy, whoever is, when, when this guy at the Atlantic hears West, the West, he thinks white Christians and therefore conquistadors and bigotry and hatred and all that other nonsense, nonsense. just like Obama uh, talking about jihad. And he said, well, do I have to remind you about the Crusades? Right? Like that same nonsense. I want to quote a little bit of Trump's speech, if you don't mind, just so you know the context of this all. He said, our adversaries are doomed because we will never forget who we are. And if we don't forget who we are, we just can't be beaten. Americans will never forget. The nations of Europe will never forget. We write symphonies. We pursue innovation. We celebrate our ancient heroes, embrace our timeless traditions and customs, and always seek to explore and discover brand new frontiers. We reward brilliance. We strive for excellence. And we cherish inspiring works of art that honor God. We treasure the rule of law and protect the right of free speech and free expression. We empower women as pillars of our society and of our success. We put faith in family, not government bureaucracy, at the center of our lives. And we debate everything. We challenge everything. We seek to know everything so that we can better know ourselves. It's all perfect. How can you deny any of that? And above all, we value the dignity of human, every human life, protect the rights of every person, and share the hope of every soul to live in freedom. That is who we are. Those are the priceless ties that bind us together as nations, as allies, and as a civilization. What we have today and what we've inherited from our ancestors has never existed to this extent before. And if we fail to preserve it, it will never, ever exist again. So we cannot fail. Last, last line. We have to remember that our defense is not just a commitment of money. It's a commitment of will. Because as the Polish experience reminds us, the defense of the West ultimately rests not only on means, but also on the will of its people to prevail and to be successful. The fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. Do we have the confidence in our values to defend them at any cost? Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our borders? Do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? That's perfect. If I really, I don't want to be rude, but if you have a problem with that, then you really do hate Western civilization. And by extinction yourself. And if that mentality takes over, then we won't survive. Why would we? This, this is not complicated. Like, just to go back to Bud Fink. Oh, we didn't play this clip. But in the interview, again, you can check it out on our Facebook page. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Uh, he tells the story of Pearl Harbor. And Bud was in Brooklyn. And... They heard over the radio about Pearl Harbor. He didn't even know where Pearl Harbor was. He goes right directly to the military recruitment office down the street. Line around the block. This is Brooklyn, a city block. He said, I'm not exaggerating. A line around the block. Twice over. Boys, in his case. Men standing in line waiting to join the military. 
He said that it became nighttime. It got dark out and the people, the, the military recruiters came outside and said, everyone's got to go home. We'll come back tomorrow. No one moved. No one moved. Everyone stood right there. Moms came back out with bowls of soup and blankets. And all the boys and men just sat and slept right there on the sidewalk until the recruitment center opened back up in the morning. Those men had the will to fight. Were they fighting for Western civilization? Yeah. Oh, but later they were fighting about against Germany, against the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Germ- the Nazis were in the West geographically, but they were not, they did not hold Western values. They did not hold Western values. So it was a fight for the West, even though it was against another country in the West. They were not upholding the values that the rest of the West loves and cherishes. So Trump's last question, do, you, do we have the desire and the courage to, pre- to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? If it's a lot of people on the left you're asking, nope. Because they've been trained, they've been taught that the West is evil and it's nothing worth protecting and, prevent- and, and, and defending. In fact, they're trying to subvert it from the inside. And again, if that mentality takes over, of course we won't survive. How could we? One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. It's amazing that someone would get offended at the question. The question is, does the West have the will to survive against its enemies? And you're like, oh, that's a, how could you? Uh, that is such a basic, fundamental question. And the fact that there's that's any controversy at all, I think, proves how far we've uh, we've strayed. Um, I want to end on this point again. A friendly reminder that that interview with Buzz Fink is on our uh, our Facebook page, World War II Veteran. Uh, someone just wrote that this should be mandated listening for all. I can't force everyone to listen to it, but I can strongly encourage it. So a couple of days ago, we talked to a farmer, a local farmer here in San Diego. She owned this farm for eh, 10 years or so, and they're going out of business. It was a local organic farm and, and really nice and really popular here in San Diego. So it was interesting that um, they they had to go out of business. And we just got talking about farming, and we were just going on about it, and, and we, we concluded – that there are that farming is important be, for people for all of us because it teaches four important principles patience humility hard work and truth patience hum, it's because it's a process humility because it's not up to you whether or not it rains Hard work, you got to do everything you can. And then just truth. There's just objective truth about things growing or not. And that's just stuff we were thinking out loud on the fly. But patience, humility, hard work, and truth. 
And it's a problem because we're moving further and further away. Obviously, not even, it's not even we're moving further away. We've completely removed ourselves from an agrarian society where we used to have 99% of Americans were farmers. Now it's less than 1%, right? So almost no one has this connection to the earth like we, like it used to be everywhere. So I did some research about this and, and I thought of Victor Davis Hanson. And if you listen to the show a lot, you know that I love this guy. He is the world's foremost scholar of ancient military history. And he happens to be a farmer in Fresno. And he lives that life on purpose life of a farmer because he knows the importance of it and, and the importance of being separate from the bubble that is academia land and city life. And he wrote an essay 20 years ago called democracy without farmers. And the whole thing is way over my head, but I just want to quote uh, two little parts here. He said, no abstract thinker. So no academic dares to advocate the love of soil a legacy of hard work, loyalty to family, town, and country, or even loyalty to a common culture. But these are the glues that hold and should hold the people together that make their day-to-day drudgery mean more than the gratification of desire. Oh, no, you say that, and one would be dubbed a crank, a misfit, a corny, naive, silly for sure. And why not, right? Everything that we hold dear are mass entertainment, advertising, cars, leisure, music, material wealth, consumer democracy with its moral relativism, academic bromides, and cheap caring. Everything we hold dear are ours precisely and only because we've evolved away from the agrarian ideal and a vibrant countryside. The end of family farming gave us more food and more time, more money, and less shame. And that's such a good point, right? It's, it's I, I'm not. My whole point of this is not that we should all give up our lives and become yeoman farmers, right? But the fact, and because it's good that we don't farm in a way, because now we can do other things. But we have to acknowledge the things that we've lost because we are no longer farmers. There's something spiritual about it, right? There's a reason why there's analogies about seeds and farming throughout the Bible. Last quote here. We are not starving in this country and we need not worry about our food supply, but we are parched and hungry in our quandary over how to be a good citizen whom the Greeks said were ultimately the only real harvest of the soil. Gosh, I love that quote. Think about this. The Greeks knew that the real harvest of the soil was what? Not food. The real harvest of the soil was what? you learned that then translated you into being a good citizen, right? So the real harvest of the soil wasn't lettuce. It was patience, humility, hard work, truth, etc. things that then translated into being a good citizen. That's what the Greeks knew was the real harvest of the soil. And that is indeed what this country is starving for. So again, I don't, I don't want to quit my job and become a farmer. So the big question is, how can you be a yeoman farmer or or, or not be a yeoman farmer and still live these principles and instill these principles in your kids? That's the big question. And I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer other than awareness um, and appreciation, which can always be taught and must be taught. And I know you teach, which brings me back to Bud. Please go to our Facebook page, Mike Slater Show on Facebook and listen to the interview with Bud. Um, with your family and make sure your kids understand everything about it. Understand 
what it meant to be a tank commander at 17 and understand what it meant to grow up in the depression and what that was like. And you can hear the story of Bud uh, eating steak for the first time. <laughs> Among other awesome, great depression stories. Mike Slater Show on Facebook. Slater Crusaders, I hope you have a great weekend. And we'll see you next week. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network.